podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the King and AI podcast. My name's Kelly Cates and you'll be listening to my dad, uh, Kenny Dalglish, on this podcast and getting his thoughts on football issues about Liverpool, but also about other things as well. And the reason the podcast has come about is because of our family's charity, the Marina Dalglish Appeal, which was set up to raise money to help cancer patients and their families. So if you'd like to support that, that would be fantastic. As much as it's about raising awareness, it is also about the financial support, if possible. If you want to donate, you can go to anfieldindex.com slash MDA, or you can go to the Marina Dalglish Appeal website to find out a little bit more about the charity and the work that they do. It's worth having a read about. It's a really great charity and it's something that's very close to all our hearts. Enjoy the show. Hello, I'm Eddie Gibbs and welcome to the latest episode of The King and AI here on Anfield Index Pro. Firstly, and just to echo what Kelly said there at the top of the show, if you haven't already done so, please do join the masses of regular listeners to this podcast into what so many of you have already done. Find your way over to anfieldindex.com forward slash MDA, where you'll be able to join the generosity of donating whatever you can to the Marina Dalglish POR. So we find ourselves uh, recording in yet another international break, and dare I say after a grueling run of fixtures, probably not the worst time for Jurgen Klopp and his troops to take a bit of time out. And uh, without further ado, let's introduce you to uh, my compadres for the next 60 minutes or so. And first up, we have the main course, and when I say course, it's nothing to do with food, but a course of the golfing variety, and that's because uh, Sir Kenny Dalglish has been busy playing in the British Masters Pro-Am this week alongside none other than fellow Reds legend Robbie Fowler, Chelsea great. John Terry and Green Jacket winner Danny Willett. So, Kenny, did you give Danny a few shots head start? Yeah, he's, he's doing well, but he's off three now. He's got his handicap down a bit. <laughs> he used to be a bit higher than that. <laughs> no, he was, by the way, he was hitting it really well. Uh, I think he's uh, he's got a, a new coach, I think, and he was hitting it. He was hitting it really well. It was it was good, and it was really enjoyable to play with. Uh, it was a good four ball. We were doing, we were doing very well. We were, uh, I don't know the exact score, but we were right up in the frame coming to the 16, but it was getting darker by the, by the second. And we ended up playing the last three holes with, uh, eight on each hole, because Thomas Bjorn was just in front of us and they were, obviously it was dark for them as well. And, yeah. uh, it finished in darkness. That wouldn't have bothered you, though. You were, the, you, you were the lowest handicapper in the group, other than uh, Danny Willett, so uh, you must have uh, you well, must have it, been the one that everyone was there yeah, to watch. Well, when I hit it, I just walked up the middle anyway. <laughs> I, don't know if my, I don't know if my ball was there, but that's where I was going. Night of the day. <laughs> Very good. Well, it, was, it was a beautiful day, beautiful weather, despite, uh, I suppose you could say, missing out the last three. Um, it was a really enjoyable day. Good By the way, don't try and make out you don't know where you finished. No, I, I don't. Well, you know you never won it, don't you? Well, I've not got a present yet. <laughs> well, <laughs> we need to Google know. that, Eddie. We need to find out where he finished because he's he's obviously not won it. Otherwise, he'd have told us. Yeah, Sky's no, cover. Sky's coverage. Well, we don't went know. Off just as it was getting a bit dark, so I couldn't see the end of it myself. So uh, just as your dad couldn't see out on the course, I don't think the viewers were able to see much of what was going on either. <laughs> I tell you, he'd certainly know where he finished if he'd won it. <laughs> well, if I'd won it, if I'd won it, you know, you're first. But uh, I've no hair, so I don't know. But it was really, it was really enjoyable. Good stuff. And if uh, listeners haven't guessed yet, the other man on the uh, end of the phone on the Skype line is our man in Miami. And he's treating himself to a bit of a never-ending summer. How are you this week, Mr. Paul Dalglish? Very good. Very good indeed. How are you? Well, uh, so we're, we're sort of in the midst of autumn just now, so I'm looking forward to jetting my way out of Scotland and getting a bit of sun down in Spain next week. So uh, we're, 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 I think we'll all be in a sunnier climb next week because we're all kind of leaving. Uh, Kenny's leaving these aisles, as am I, and you're already in your regular location of sun, sun, sun. So uh, that's what awaits yeah. next week. So we're gonna we're gonna have a little more break next week, but that's uh, there's still plenty to plow into today, and uh, 
Of course, during the last show, we were eagerly anticipating the top of the table clash with uh, Manchester City at Anfield, and we all expected goals, and Kenny told us to expect a great game, but in the end, Kenny, it was a case of two teams cancelling each other out, and uh, both managers probably content with a point apiece, would you say? Well, I never get either of the two predicted right. Loads of goals in a great game. There was no great, no goals, and it was pretty, uh, pretty sterile compared to the, the games last year. Uh, I think, uh, although they missed the penalty, I think that nil-nil was a bit right on the day. Um, I think, I don't think either team had done enough to say that they, they were better than the other and they warranted the result. Um, for us, it's, uh, it was a, it was a good, it was a good point. Uh, they never gained anything on us. We never lost anything, really. Uh, so for us, it, it was uh, it was a decent result. Not as good as a win, obviously, but it was a decent result. And but the games last year were a lot better, a lot more exciting than what they were uh, last week. But I suppose that's just the way it goes. And the worrying thing for me was. Uh, with City, who's obviously going to be really in contention for the the championship, is they've got De Bruyne to come back, and he's arguably their best player. So he could be coming back just at a, a nice time for them. And Paul, what were your thoughts on the uh, initial lineup? Obviously, uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold rested with uh, Joe Gomez coming at right back in order to uh, accommodate Dejan Lovren in the centre. I mean. I know that uh, people said that Lovren may have been culpable for a couple of penalties. They weren't given, so fair play to him there. And, and all in all, I thought he had a decent game. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I thought it was it was a, a little bit of surprise, if I'm honest, to see the, the centre-back pairing broken up because they played so well this season. But I thought uh, Lovren came in and, and did great. And I thought Gomez did fine as well at right-back. I think the... There's no doubt that we defended well in that game, as did Man City, and, and uh, as my dad said, it wasn't much of a, much of a spectacle. I think over the last couple of weeks, maybe Trent's looked a little bit tired, maybe coming back from the World Cup, not much of a break, uh, and I think being left out will probably do him the world of good to come back a little bit rested and and, uh, and fresher for these next few games. Well, I thought Joe Gomez was your best player in Napoli. Yeah, I thought he played. I thought he, he was really good. Um, yeah, and they probably more to do with maybe who was his, who was playing against Sani. Maybe that's why he was he was pushed out there. But certainly, uh, Lovren, he he was caught. No, he wasn't caught, but he was exposed one on one, twice in the second half. And by the way, two great tackles on his Yeah, yeah, two great tackles. And I'm not so sure there was any penalties due to be given against them, but um, there was certainly he certainly did very well when he had to do yeah. it defensively. So, as I say, it's it's it'd have been difficult for Trent to take no playing, but uh, that's what happens when you get to this quality and this level of football. I thought Sometimes, the same thing, Dad. I thought the some, same thing as you said with uh, with Sane. And Gomez, uh, I thought. I thought that maybe, maybe that's why he put him in just for the defender one v one against Sane, and then Sane obviously doesn't start. So it was uh, that was a surprise as well uh, for me because he's been good. I, th- I like Sane; he's a he's a threat. Yeah, but he doesn't play. He's known his first eleven every week, is he? No, I mean I don't. I don't know how many players are, but uh, he's not started as many games this year as but. Probably he'd be happy with so leaving him to bring him on. I don't know if uh, Guardiola would have worked out that maybe Jurgen would have done that, put in a more defensive minded fullback and more of a defender, um, in anticipation of Sandy playing. And maybe maybe Guardiola thought, well, I'll, I'll leave him on the bench and he can go on against Gomez when maybe Gomez is just starting to tire a little bit. You don't know, do you? No. Another thing that happened kind of early in the game was obviously James Milner, Kenny, who you've said uh, you've 
Thought's been uh, really good this season. You've been really impressed with him. He had to go off uh, with a with a muscle injury, and that brought Naby Keita, obviously who had gone off himself in the previous game away at Napoli with a back spasm, and then he was back and he was on for Milner. Now it's one of those things you've seen in some quarters, some criticisms of Keita uh, coming onto the into that game. But one of the things that I heard uh, after the game, I think it was Gav Jones mentioned it to Paul on the tactics pod, was that he saw that Keita maybe was struggling a bit with the language at the side of the, side of the field. How, how difficult is it for guys uh, coming into foreign leagues and adapting? I mean, we, we look at the player and we look at the systems that they played in previously, but there, there probably is a bit more to that. And maybe this language thing is a bit more than meets the eye uh, with, with Naby Keita and the other lad Fabino settling in at Anfield. Well, I mean, I thought Naby Keita had a problem because he played in Germany. So Jürgen's German. So surely if Jürgen wants to get a message on to him, he's perfectly capable of understanding it. He's been playing at Leipzig for a few years. So I wouldn't think he's got a problem linguistically. Um, I mean, it's the same. I suppose you could say the same when I came. Yeah, no one could understand you. And I, I couldn't speak English, <laughs> but I don't think I don't think for him that's a problem. Fabinho, I don't know, I don't know if it is a problem for him. But um, he was in he was in Paris, in Paris. He was in Monaco, and did did particularly well. Uh, so I wouldn't see any reason why he can't settle down. I mean, it, the actions, the actions when you're training, uh, when it's the 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 functions are set up. You know exactly what's. You know exactly after a two or three, what's needed, what what the manager's expecting from me. So the the language for me would be a bigger problem for the banter in the dressing room rather than than on the pitch because you pick it up on the pitch. I see, it's just simple things you may be shouting on the pitch to them, isn't it? To each other, like man on or. Uh, Show them right, show them left, or a beer. I mean, they're simple things that they pick up anyway in training. But I don't think there's a problem linguistically. Is that something you've come across, Paul, with coaching and in the in the modern era, but language barriers? What you normally have is uh, another player that can speak the language. And and sometimes when you're working on sometimes when you're working on tactics, you'll you'll tell one of the guys that that speaks the same language to uh, to go and stand next to the player that you need the information passed on to and sometimes I've had coaches that can speak the language that needed spoke so between that you, you find a way of getting the message um, and if they don't understand then you can always speak them after the session anyway and, and go through it go through it with them but there's normally people around that can speak the language that you need it translated into and it's mostly visual rather than vocal isn't it I mean there's a lot of obviously there's a lot of vocals on a, on a football pitch but um, a lot of the time, also, it's 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 uh, it's somebody who's you're showing them something what you want them to do. Yeah, the, the other the other thing as well is there's some people that speak the language that don't understand what you're trying to tell them to do anyway. Yeah, and also also if, imagine uh, the guy was was a rival to yours that spoke the same language as he, and the manager's telling them to tell you something. And the guy tells him the wrong thing because he wants his <laughs> place back. <laughs> You're better showing them it rather than yeah. telling them. Yeah. And then find out. And it, by the way, the, some people speak the same language as it. They don't really understand That's it. what the coach is required, is requiring of them. There's so a difference between hearing and understanding. Ah, yeah. yeah. And there's a, there's a difference also between sitting there and listening. Yeah, and they used to say, "Oh, Bob Paisley said, speak quietly, because then they've got to see you've got to see them bend their head forward to listen to what you're trying to say." <laughs> that's, a yeah. good, that's a good one. <laughs> but yeah, but the I'm, I'm yeah. going to read too many secrets here. <laughs> but the other, the other thing as well, Dad, was uh, they, you know, some some players they just they don't they, if you ask them. If they understand, they say yes anyway. Because they're embarrassed. Yeah, yeah. So it's it, you really do need to show them and, and, and make it a, a two-way conversation so that they can actually show you that they do understand. 
Uh, obviously, the other thing that we noticed in this game was uh, Daniel Sturridge was brought on a bit earlier than he had been against Chelsea, but the substitutions never really seemed to impact the game too much, obviously, other than the Sane coming on and who was brought down for the penalty. But were you surprised that the manager substitutions, Paul, was uh, none of them really seemed to go for it. It was almost like two, two sparring partners kind of saying, uh, we'll just take what we've got today and then see where the rest of the season takes us. Yeah, it was... Uh... You get carried away, don't you, when you, when Sturridge comes on for five minutes and scores the win, uh, scores an equaliser. Sorry, felt like a winner. But you, you, you get carried away, don't you, thinking that he's going to come on and do it every time. Where the reality is that it, it, it doesn't happen like that, really. So, um, I thought we came out in the game and we came out with the attitude to, to make it high tempo. And, and we really came out on the front foot after about 20 minutes. What it looked like to me, as I said on the Tactics podcast, was it was like two heavyweight boxers, terrified of the knockout punch. They were just quite happy not to not to throw a punch, as long as they didn't get punched back. And and it, it just kind of fizzled out the game. And it didn't matter what subs came into the game, what changes were made. The game just fizzled out. So, that yeah, you're right. I didn't think that the subs had much impact. But I don't think anybody had much impact after the first 20 minutes. And And... When you when you actually look at the numbers as well, if you, you listen to the Under Pressure podcast, the uh, the XG for both teams was really really low. I don't think any t- either team had a big chance. So it was uh, it certainly was a game that well, well, my City had a big chance from twelve yards, apart from the penalty. Yeah, yeah. I mean that was that was I think that would have been a real pretty bonus if he'd. Uh, if he'd have scored with that for Man City. Um, and as I say, I think, I said earlier, I think the draw was a bit, a fair yeah. result. And I think the I longer think so. the game went, I think both managers realised, well, a draw is no, it's no hurting, it's no hurting either of us. And I think they sort of, uh, they sort of settled for it. Yeah, they would have, they would have, they would have shook hands at, around, at half time and said, let's take this if you'd have let them. But it, it was, uh, it, it, it was a shame, wasn't it, Dad? As a as a football fan, you wanted to see them go toe to toe. You know, we we saw Chelsea and Liverpool go toe to toe, and it was a great game to watch. And then the Man City games last year against Liverpool were amazing. And you you were thinking, oh, I want to see that. I want to see foot, two attacking teams going, uh, two of the best teams in in the country going head to head. And, and unfortunately, somebody somebody's got to get an early goal. Yeah, earliest goal to 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 get to set the tempo for the game and to make the other teams mind up that they're going to go for it. So we're getting no goals. There was nobody really. They weren't under pressure, were they? Because they weren't losing. If if one of the two teams had gone behind, they would probably would have exerted themselves to push forward and yeah, try and get something back. But I think they were both happy with a point. Yeah, I I agree, I agree. But uh, what it was? Do you think it was a game, Dad? Because you've obviously been a manager at the, you know, going against your title rival. Really, do you think it's the mindset where it's not a must-win game, but it's a it's a mustn't lose game? Yeah, um, they're always tight, mm. or not always. Normally they're tight. I mean, it's really exceptional if somebody runs away with. Two or three goal win, but um, most of the games you set yourself up. Like, yeah, listen, we're not going to throw this away here. We're not going to sit and play defensively, but we're going to be well organised. And if we get an opportunity when we go forward, you just want to be clinical. And it's amazing at that level how how important the goal is to the quality of the game. If you get an early goal, you usually get a good game because it gets the other one out and about. But whereas it's the reverse, if you're playing a team that's maybe in the lower half and they get a goal and they've come with a defensive mentality, that defensive mentality is really encouraged by the goal they get and it really gives them something to hold on to to make it difficult for you to break them down or more difficult. Whereas if they lose a goal, they sort of lose heart a little bit. There's a sort of a, oh no, we're going to get battered here. So the goals are, 
in the big games are really important, and equally as important at the other end. Every goal has got some meaning to it, and doesn't matter who's playing who, but in the bigger games, I think it just makes somebody make their mind up. They go a goal behind, and they want to get it back. Dad, do you think, do you think that the way Guardiola set up is uh, an indication of, of the respect that Liverpool have now and, and how far the team's evolved under Jurgen Klopp over the last three years that, that the champions have come to, to Anfield to defend? I don't know if he... It was a kind of attacking defensive line-up we had as well. I mean, it, it, look at the look at the team. Look what he had in the middle. He only had yeah. uh, Fernandinho in the middle that you say was a defensive defensive player. Yeah. So, I don't think anybody needs reminding how far Liverpool have come under Jürgen. And I don't think anybody needs reminding that how well they've started this season either. And But Man City have been very, very consistent. They drew at Wolves and that was it. Uh, they got beat by Leon, didn't they, in the Champions they League? They got beat by Leon. They get beat by Leon when we beat PSG. Yeah. And then that was a poor result for them. And PSG then last weekend beat Leon 5 0 or something. Yeah. So, I mean, how does, how do you work that one out? Leon beat Man City. We beat PSG, but PSG mm-hmm. beat Leon 5 0. Leon, yeah. Leon did have two men sent off, I think. Uh, but I, I think most of the damage was done. Oh, but they were behind it. Yeah, yeah, they were behind when they got sent off, weren't they? Yeah, they already were. I think. I think actually, PSG had a man sent off first in that game. But so, I don't think that either club is in doubt of the quality of the opposition that they were facing. Yeah. So both have tremendous respects for each other, and I think that's hugely complimentary to both clubs. There's nothing wrong with being in competition or with your rival and saying how good they are. And if, by the way, if you don't realise it, I think you've got more problems. <laughs> well, one thing that came up uh, after the game that I thought was quite interesting, obviously, uh, Riyad Mahrez took the penalty, as you, as you mentioned earlier, from 12 yards. The best opportunity would have been a bonus for them to have uh, to have walked away with Anfield with three points from from, from that. But it never happened, uh, fortunately for us. But something that Craig Bellamy said after the game uh, kind of caught my attention. And he said that uh, Rafa Benitez always had a set list of penalty takers and... Uh, once he ignored that and ended up with a fine on the back of it. So I wondered if, Kenny, you ever had a, a, a list or whether you just allowed the players to sort it out, as, especially if the regular penalty taker was off the field. Well, you'd always have a say in it. But I think in this instance, uh, I think Guardiola made it clear that he wanted Mares to take it. That was what I read after the game. Well, that's what yeah, I heard. That's, so, that's true. He apologised. He apologised. So that, it's his choice. So you kind of say, like, you leave it to the players. If you left it to the players, there'd be three or four fighting each other to try and take it. So the manager's got to take charge. I mean, it, he took charge and he missed it. If he hadn't yeah. taken charge and he missed it, what would have happened then? Either mm. get the blame for not taking charge. So the, the only time where it's wrong as if the guy that's taking it misses it. That's the only time you get it wrong. Marez, there was another quote saying that uh, Guardiola said that I didn't realise how many he'd missed. Well, I think that's part of your job, isn't it, to find out how many they've missed yeah. before you think, give them a penalty. But I think it's five say, out of eight, Dad. Right, well, so he's not even 50-50. No. Can't, Is that right, Eddie? Yeah, that's right. try yeah. phoning a friend. <laughs> Paul, did that surprise you though? That quote that your dad just mentioned uh, that Guardiola didn't know about uh, about his record. I mean, you you you're obviously a, a Pep fanboy. You've said it in the past before, but he's so meticulous. I mean, how would he not know this? Yeah, I don't know. I, I think he maybe because Vardy and, and Mahrez used to split the penalties, didn't they, at, at Leicester? So maybe he Look, just maybe Vard- he just never. Vardy's yeah. missed a few as well, Paul. But I think they used to. I think they used to split them. Yeah, Vardy missed one against Liverpool. Yeah. So I, I don't know. Maybe he just never. Maybe just he, what what Guardiola said was that he he saw him taking them in training, or or maybe it was John Stones that said that in the po- in the 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 post game interview, and that he'd been he'd been putting them in. So he'd obviously seen something he liked in training, but the, it's a totally different 
scenario, scoring a penalty in training and scoring scoring a penalty in the 90th minute at Anfield in front of your home fans, you, and, you know, right at, at the Anfield Road end. And, and uh, it, I just, I, I, he didn't look confident though, stepping up to it. I think there was a little delay before he went up to it. He didn't look confident. He looked in his eyes. He didn't, he didn't look confident. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I, I, you'd think he would know, but it, you've got to admire his honesty for saying he didn't. I think that's refreshing. Yeah. Yeah, he's not trying to, and yeah, he's, that, that, not trying to be clever. He's being honest. Yeah. And you've got to admire him for that as well. Yeah, I think so. Because yeah. it, it shows confidence as well, though, doesn't it, Dad? Yeah. To not have to prove yourself. Well, yeah, but it shows also that everything's no... You, you don't have a 100% answer to the solutions, yeah. do you? No. Sometimes you get it right. Sometimes... And for, fortunately for, for Pep Guardiola, it, it's not very often that it goes wrong. And when it's gone wrong, he's turned around and said, I got it wrong. Yeah, yeah. Which, when the boy's on the deck, because he's missed the penalty kick and cost him two points, then he'll feel refreshed when it calms down that, Jesus, I liked that. The man just stood up for me. And be strong against me. Instead, they usually come as the usual thing is they come out with a, uh, abuse, didn't they? They say, "What's he doing? Take that? He'll never take another penalty for me." Mm-hmm. But Guardiola rose above that. See, it's yeah. my fault. So yeah. it does. There's a world of good for the guy after he realised uh, how supportive the manager was. Yeah. Yeah. Now our next run of games after this international break is is a little bit different to the uh, the previous one, and I was going to ask you guys a, a little bit about rotation and what you might expect, but just as is the way, uh, before we came on air with this podcast, we uh, we heard the news that uh, uh, Mo Salah scored from a corner for Egypt, and then uh, shortly after that had to leave the field with a with an injury to his left thigh. Uh, I was going to ask you, Paul, if you expected more Shakiri, more Sturridge, more Fabinho, more Keita in this next run of games, but. Uh, with Salah injured now, we don't know how long he'll be out. Obviously, it's very early. With James Milner looking like he might be out for a bit, uh, it's going to be inevitable now, mm-hmm. surely, that uh, Jurgen Klopp's going to have to uh, to ring some changes. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Or or a change in system, or both. You know, I think he, he's experimented a little bit this this season for a half with the four two three one. Maybe that's something that you might see with Sturridge uh, coming in and, and Firmino playing underneath. It might give him an opportunity to do that. Um, you don't know, but we're going to have to see a change. If, if you've got two of the people that have started the most amount of games or, or, or most of the games out of the starting 11 for the next, uh, for the next few games, then we're going to have to see changes. And, and it's, it's probable you, you will see Shakiri on that right hand side if, if everything stays the same. Or as you said, you could see storage, which, which maybe isn't. As as uh, as comfortable playing on the as wide on the wide uh, position as he is in the central position, but he's got the options now in the squad to to be able to. I'm not going to say you can replace Salah man for man, but you can certainly put in a decent player now to to replace Salah and and keep the keep the starting eleven strong. I don't I don't think uh, I don't think it's important to go light for light because you can't go light for light. No. As you say, Paul, there's no there's no two people like Mo Salah. No. There's no two Firminos. There's no two no. Mannies. So no. the boys that are playing are going to have to, and you're not going to ask them to replicate them. You want them to be no. themselves. Yeah. Just play wherever you're strong. And I've got to pick a way of playing. If you're going to play, that's going yeah. to play to your strength. Yeah. So there might be changes uh, if they're enforced or it might be, you might be having a wee look at them after they come back from the internationals and seeing who he thinks uh, yeah. needs a wee bit of a breather. Because after the game, uh, there's, a, there's a midweek match as well, isn't there, Red Star? Yeah, let's just run through the uh, the fixtures that there are. We come back uh, on Saturday the 20th of October with an away trip to uh, Huddersfield. Then it's uh, 
like Kenny just said there, a Wednesday night game uh, against Red Star Belgrade in the Champions League, followed by a a home game at Anfield on Saturday, a 3pm kickoff against Cardiff City. We then move into November and we have an away game at Arsenal on the 3rd of November, followed by another midweek game, obviously this time in Belgrade at Red Star on uh, on Tuesday the 6th of November. Followed by the final game in this run, which is a is a home tie, a, a, a Sunday noon kickoff against Fulham. So, uh, what are we kind of expecting from 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 those games, Kenny? It's certainly a very different run. Arsenal, obviously, the big sort of standout there in in terms of the uh, the big tie, if if you like. But I would expect, and this is not to be disrespectful to the other sides in any shape or form, but Liverpool even rotating things would be uh, expecting to take three points, certainly in those in those league games and dare I say the two Champions League games as well. Yeah, I think rotations uh, is something that a lot of the managers do nowadays. But as I said before, going at the Carabao Cup takes away the opportunity for a, a lot of the players who don't play as regularly to get a game and get match time and get on the pitch and familiarise themselves with their positions again on the pitch because it doesn't matter how often you train. You need to feel comfortable in the positions that you're in. And you only get that by playing games. And when you've not been playing and when you've been off injured, then I always found that it took a wee bit of adjustment to get back in to get used to the positions you were in and familiarise yourself with it again. So there'll be reasons uh, that people will get picked and people will be be rested or, or whatever. There's no going to be once when he puts a team on the pitch that he doesn't think it can win. And that's important. And I think this year they're going to be stronger than, any, than ever in putting uh, strong teams on the pitch when he makes a change. Mm-hmm. Because it's, I think the strength and depth and the quality of the people in the squad is better this year than it's been before. But if you're not playing games, it's difficult to expect you to be up to speed right away. Uh, and it's difficult for you to be able to, to last the game because training is uh, what you've got to do, isn't it? To get yourself ready for the games. But it's only part of the preparation. You need you need games to get yourself really fit. Well, the, the thing is as well that if you play games, sometimes you don't need to train that much. Yeah, it's it's just the maintenance thing, isn't it? Because you you really are, especially when you've got Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, you're, you're almost playing games, and that that's your fitness. And then you you're just recovering and well, preparing for the game in, in between. If there's a game Saturday, Saturday, then obviously it's important. But when it's when it's the the midweek games, it's you don't actually you don't actually do very much anyway. I don't know. I don't know what the situation is. Uh, nowadays, when I mean, we never, most of our training was done pre-season. Yeah. Uh, and as you said, the games got you fit. And, but anybody in those days, uh, that wasn't in the first team were playing reserve football. Nowadays, reserve football's is frowned upon by some people. Yeah. But I still yeah. think I, I think it's it's a necessary. If you've not got the Carabao Cup, you might need to play reserve games. No, no, as an embarrassment to yourself, and it should never be an embarrassment. It's to your benefit. Yeah, it's to you because if you if you want to say you deserve to be in the team, well, there's an opportunity. Shows and there's I'm helping you get in the team. It's a game of football. It's going to be helpful and beneficial to you and it will be to us as well. Enjoy Why do you think it. that changed? Why do you think that changed? Why do you think the the reserve team the reserve team system used to be essential for, for players and, and now and now as you said that they've changed it to twenty threes, there isn't even a reserve team. So why do you think that happened? Yeah, but you can play over age players as well. Yeah. Yeah, but why so, why do you, what, what do you, when do you think what do you think the reason yeah, for that was? I've thought about it. They've got a balancing act, right? And it's, yeah. they don't know whether it's best to play them or they've got they always that fear that they might get injured. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think if you're going to get injured, you'll get injured anyway. 
So you can't keep you can't keep looking for for reasons for them not to play. And if I if I mean I came but I was come back to fitness, and I went and played at Southport, mm. and again I think it was a Liverpool Senior Cup or something. I played there, and by the way I needed again. Yeah. And I felt better for it afterwards. So, yeah. I mean, each one of their own. I'm, I'm not trying to say that everything we did was right. No. I'm only relating what happened in our day. But nowadays, they don't seem, they don't seem to be as keen to play as if it's a, a, a an embarrassment for them or, or I shouldn't be here. Well, it's the only opportunity you're going to get to prove to me that you should be in there. And I'm giving you the best opportunity to get yourself fit and up to speed. Um, to, in case you get again. Do you know when I think it started changing? When they increased the amount of substitutions. Because then it was, it was, uh, the first team squad became bigger. You know, so there was, there was more people that could be involved on a game day. Uh, then you know, and and then so all of a sudden they saw themselves as first team players. Whereas yeah. when when you were playing, how many subs were there at the beginning? One, and then it went up yeah, to two. It went one, up to two. two, and then it went up. And, but but this, it doesn't matter how many Paul there are, really. Yeah, you've always got to play to get yourself much fit. But that's how many people were trained that back then. So say there was say there was eleven. There's eleven starters, obviously, and then one on the bench is twelve. How many people would train? When? Well, when you, you train during the week? If, well, we had... Uh, would the reserves and the first team train together then? You'd have about 20. Ah, well, if you needed some, same as what happens now, you pull them over. Yeah, yeah but what... thing what, happens. They well, might have been, well, it would have been about... It depends. Yeah. Very, very seldom do you ever get it when everybody's fit. Yeah. So, you have to think about, about 20. 18, yeah. 20. Then maybe that's a couple of youngsters. I mean, when Robbie was early doors, Steve McManaman was early doors, they used to come over and train. And wasn't they, they used to come in and join in with us, make up the, the teams. Mm-hmm. Um, so, they, I think it's, I, I still honestly think it's important. It's, it's, uh, it's important for you to get fit and it's important for you to be fit to give yourselves the best opportunity to give the manager a problem when he wants to pick his next team. And if you look upon it, if you look at it like that, instead of thinking, no, I'm embarrassed to be playing here. No, well, but you've just got to, I, 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 don't, I, I, I like playing football. And, and there's a lot of, there's, there's people that, there's people that, you get to, you get people that, want to play the games like you did and you get some people that think they're better than playing reserve games and that's uh, I don't understand how you get properly ready for a match if you don't play games no there's no better way to replicate game fitness than playing in the game because in training you can ease off a wee bit if you're feeling a bit tired yeah because uh, but it's also different dimensions in in a game you're going to be more enthusiastic aren't you yeah, but it's also it's also different dimensions, you know. Unless you're playing eleven v eleven in training, it's yeah, but that's not the same. No, I know that's what I'm saying. So it's different dimensions. There's it's a different type of fitness, unless you're training in big spaces. Well, it's a different, and it's not the intensity yeah. of a game. No, I mean even if you're playing amongst yourselves, it's no the pace of the game is not the same as what it is when you're playing a match. It doesn't matter. Really, the quality of the opposition so much. Yeah, that's that's why when the reserves when the reserves played against the first team, a lot of times the reserves win. Yeah, because that's what the, happened. That, that's yeah. what, used to used to play it before the season started. Yeah. Um, Anfield used to always have a game, and more often than not, the reserves won. And sometimes it was embarrassingly uh, heavy defeat for the first team as well. <laughs> <laughs> Happens everywhere. It happens everywhere in football where the reserves beat the first team because the first team are just trying to get through it and the reserves are trying to prove a point to, to get into the team and it, it happens in uh, happens in most teams 
in the world if if they go against each other. Uh, well, but if that was a competitive not. game, it uh, would be it'd be different. It's, it's, so you can sometimes, as a manager, get a little bit of a a false sense of the levels because the you know the different mindsets of each team. Put them against an opposition that is a rival, not an opposition yeah. that's your six nights in the dressing room. Yeah. Well, every international break seems to uh, bring an injury for uh, Liverpool players, so let's hope there's no more during this one. And uh, we'll move on to some listener questions now. And before doing so, I wanted to draw your attention to another podcast. It's not one from us at Anfield Index Pro. It was a BBC podcast, and uh, Kelly Cates had a chance this week to speak to uh, Kevin Keegan about his new book. So I do encourage all our listeners to go and listen to uh, that chat between Kelly and Kevin. It was really, really, really interesting. And uh, it nicely leads on to a couple of questions that we had for uh, Kenny, and it was in relation to taking over from uh, from Kevin Keegan when when you arrived uh, back in uh, the, after Liverpool's 1977 uh, European Cup win. And this question comes courtesy of Steve, who's from Blackpool, but he's currently living out in Panama, and he wants to know how focused you were when arriving from Celtic on the fact that you were ostensibly replacing Keegan, and was it something you gave much thought to? Which goes on to a question from Andy Wales, which is. What was the experience of replacing Keegan the player like, and did it help you identify Peter Beardsley as your own on-field replacement? Oh, well, I was signing for Liverpool. Um, Kevin was fantastic for Liverpool. Great player. He chose to go somewhere else. He wasn't forced to go anywhere. It was his choice. I'd chosen to leave Celtic. Fortunately for me, Liverpool came in. And I was going to play for Liverpool. And, okay... Coincidentally, I was replacing Kevin, who was iconic and fantastically successful there. But I can't be Kevin. I can only be myself. And if you try to be somebody else, you've got a better chance of failing. So all I did was try to be myself and hope that it was going to work out. And for Peter, the, the reason why he was saying Peter, because he was a, he, he had great ability and he was coming, he was coming to us and there was somebody that we needed. Uh, to compliment John Aldridge and the other players that we were looking to bring in at the time as well. So there's, it's no, it wasn't a fear factor, um, as I said, because Kevin had done so well and the team had done so well. I wanted to go to Liverpool and that's, that was, that was me getting, uh, what I thought was best for me to go to the club and who I was replacing in many ways was, uh, with it, and I hope it doesn't sound disrespectful in any way, uh, about Kevin, because I'd, I'd never be disrespectful to him. I, I just wanted to go and play for who I thought was the best team and the most suitable team for me to play with. And if Kevin had stayed, I think Bob Paisley said that he would still sign me anyway. So, um, it was more important the club and the team I was going to play for than what individuals I was going to replace. And Liverpool had just won the European Cup. Yeah, no. So but it was, it was, it would be the equivalent of just for people that maybe are younger listeners. That what would what? How would you compare Liverpool back then? So you were in, you were up in Scotland. How would you compare Liverpool now in terms of a team that? No, a t- a Liverpool then in terms of a team that people wanted to play for. Uh, compared to a team now, like were Liverpool the the was Liverpool the big team that everyone wanted to play for there, or were Man United, Arsenal? Who who yeah, was the, the big the big teams that are there now? Maybe a Man City might be a little bit different, uh, but round about that time they weren't too bad either. And the, the same big teams were the teams that were there then. But I would I would say Celtic. Uh, and Rangers around that time were stronger than what they are now although yeah. I think they're, they're improving um, so it wasn't a, if you're going to move you go where you think is best suited for you and that was me going wherever where I thought was best suited for me was it I don't, was, I don't think I, I, it wasn't an issue for me but did you look at the team did you look at the team and say that type of football suits the way I play, and that's the team I want to play in. Yeah, or, well, you, because could you, when you're leaving Celtic, do you did you actually 
were you waiting for Liverpool? Or was there other teams you looked at and thought, I could have played for them? I never even get tapped up, Paul. Oh. I never even get tapped up. You know, you hear them, people phoning up and yeah. tap me up. I never got that. I asked for the, I asked, uh, when they signed the, oh, I signed the contract because we were going to play in the cup final, but I never, um, I never, uh, I never misled Jocks Dean to think that I was going to stay because I told him I was leaving. I was wanting to leave. Uh, so he was never misled. And by the way, Celtic were fantastic to myself and all the other young boys that were there at that time. We were really fortunate to have been there at a time when we went into the club and they just won the European Cup. Yeah. And we're only 15, 16 or 17 years of age and they're training with the, the Lisbon Lions. And they were really humble and they time for you as a kid and you're joining in games with them in pre-season training and they're encouraging you. And I thought, dear me, this is, these are brilliant. These guys are brilliant. And they've not even, they've not even blinked an eyelid about winning the European Cup. They're in no way carried away. They've maybe lost themselves. Um, and then obviously with Liverpool winning it, um, and going to join them. But just after that as well, um, it was it was at a different level, obviously, to what I was at. I was going in there as a player rather than going as a young kid. And for me, I'd been at Liverpool when I was fifteen, and uh, I knew what I, I knew what it was like then. And I saw a documentary before the the European Cup final. We were away for the the championships, home internationals, and there was a documentary on uh, before they played the final against uh, uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach. And by the way, I, I thought, oh, I said, this is just this is just what like it used to be when I was a wee boy. Then I said, so if I get the opportunity, that's where I want to go. So you think you think being at the club at fifteen? Or for for that week or two weeks, however long it was, played a big part in that, and you wanting to go back there at twenty five. Well, it must have. Yeah, it must have. But it wouldn't have after when I watched the documentary. I would. Uh, that's where I would have wanted to go anyway. And when you see them playing, mm-hmm. it's Jesus, no rocket science, is it? But it's so it's so so. This is. This is what fascinates me because I think you're saying you watch the documentary. Now, we might not see a documentary on Liverpool at this moment in time, but we see all the interviews uh, and you get so much uh, so much coverage through all the media channels and social media that I think people look at Liverpool and go, just now, see Jürgen and say, I'd quite like to play for them. You know, and well, I think, I, yeah. Well, sure they should. Yeah. Because, I think, because he's a perfect fit. For yeah. the way that the people who support the club have been brought up and the people yeah. who, the people who started, I mean, you go right back to Shanks and what Shanks did for this club yeah. and everybody that's been there since, since the great man was in, I'll be eternally grateful to him and all Bob, Joe Fagan, all of them because yeah. what, what they set in place has stood the test of time. Yeah. And, sure. and I think Jurgen epitomizes that. Do you know, I've listened to a lot of courage, uh, courage, coverage from the last three years. Uh, I've, I've listened to a lot of coverage, so it's been three years since Jürgen came in, and, and people are saying that Jürgen gets the club, he, he gets this, he gets that. I, and for me, that I don't agree with that, really, because I think that implies that he is acting a certain way because of the way Liverpool is. No, I, no. I, think, I, think, I think that the way I would explain it is that whoever employed or whoever was involved in the process to, to pit Jürgen and employ Jürgen saw in his personality during those meetings and, and, and during those interactions that this guy is the right guy for Liverpool and this guy when he stands in front of the cameras and, and I remember back that uh, I remember his first interview 
And I think I texted you uh, afterwards or called you afterwards. And I said he comes across brilliantly. Like his first press conference that he did when he got announced, I was already on board. You know, normally it takes you a little bit of time to to kind of buy in or trust the, the man in charge. But that first interview, I was like, I'm in. Uh, th- this guy is exactly what we need. Well, he did. His first interview, I think he convinced like 99% of the people that support yeah. Liverpool yeah. that, oh, he looks a good fit for us. But yeah. when, when he comes in and you see they go back and they, they, you get a better education of what he did at Mance and what yeah. he did at Dortmund and how he behaved and how he reacted and how it's not about Jurgen Klopp, it's about the club that he's representing. I think mm-hmm. that's what the people that support Liverpool, um, that's what they want. They don't want the managers of their football club to be anything other than successful, uh, appreciative, right? And just go on with what they're good at and do behave yourself in the way that the club is expected you to behave. And that's all that the, the DNA is there. It's been there since Shanks left, left it in there for everybody. So he, he fits the bill for everybody. Yeah. Perfect. But do you know, do you know he's what? No, he's no arrogant. He's no, it's, it's very respectful for the people. It doesn't, if they're at the club, he's respectful to them. It doesn't matter what capacity they're working at the club in. He never turns his back on anybody. But, and, but do you know that's, what? That's what they like. Do you know, I think the difference is that a lot of managers say they do that. Or say the things that that, that, that you're talking about there, but he, it's natural to him. Like it, he does, he does what he gen, and and he's got a track record to prove it. The amount of time he stayed at Mainz, then Dortmund, and then Liverpool. That's it. Yeah, but you if, know, but it's no, he's no only a person that can relate to the punters and vice versa. He's also got a great idea how to play football, how he wants to play football. Correct. And that's that's what your people want as well. Yeah. And that would be if he was if Liverpool had a, a fantastic football team and he was he was a pain in the backside, they wouldn't have been enjoying it as much. No. So he, we've got the best of both worlds. Yeah. We've got somebody who's turned the club uh, in a more positive direction and somebody that can relate to the punters and is grateful to the punters and it's vice versa. And, and do you know, how, do you know the, the other bit as well then we, we've gone off on a tangent here. We started on Kevin Keegan, we're now on Jurgen Klopp, but oh, the, right. the last thing, the last thing, the last thing I'll I say. I forgot on about it. Kevin's book, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, buy Kevin's book, buy Kevin's book. <laughs> but what I was going to say, Dad, is, is, the thing I think when you employ a Jurgen Klopp, you can invest in the club uh long term because you feel like he wants to be around long term. Whereas a lot of other managers and, and players maybe would would uh would use Liverpool, you know, to to build themselves. Whereas he looks like he genuinely wants to build the club and I think it's a big, big difference. Well, I think and I'm not saying that there's no, other people that have done the he's same. No, but he's not using Liverpool to enhance his career. No. He's using Liverpool to to be successful. Yeah. Should, and add I, some add some wee bit silverware to as as a as successes previously at other clubs. So by the way, he's I think he's played three finals, unfortunately we've lost we've lost all of them, but yeah. um but that's the positivity and the belief is still there. To be fair, I I, I felt Rafa got it as well. You know, he he. Oh, Rafa, yeah. He, and, but, he got it as well. and, and I'll tell you something else. Liverpool got got Rafa. Yeah. They they get a real grip in Rafa. Yeah. 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 No, I think that was a. Uh, I think Rafa genuinely still. Loves the club. Of course. No, but that's it. That's when you know that it's been a, it's been a partnership, you know. That's what I'm talking about. And I think Jürgen, if he left tomorrow, would still love the club. 
I think he's, I think he's, uh, I think, I think as you said, he's, he ticks both boxes and he's, he's great. Long may it continue. And so both, of them, both of them have the same, have the same, uh, desire yeah. to be successful. Yeah. Rafa at the moment is in front because of the yeah. success he had, uh, and the trophies he won. Yeah. Uh, Jürgen's moved it onwards and upwards. Uh, and this, when he gets his first trophy, it'll be, a huge celebration. So, um, if I, if when Rafa left, he could leave his head held high because he did he did a great job there and won the things and really yeah. moved the club forward. I might and even I think Jurgen's going to do the same. I might even come back for that party. Mate, we'll end up might end up in the Sir Thomas again, like two thousand five. Steady, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we'll cross yeah, that we we'll cross that bridge another day. It's kind of funny because yeah. uh, we tried to get in a few questions, and Paul mentioned it there how we went from Kevin Keegan to Jurgen Klopp. But ironically, the next question, and I'll give the uh, the give give the person that asked it some credit. It was a chap called Rupee on the uh, subscriber WhatsApp group. He had said uh, he often hears that Jurgen Klopp is bringing back the boot room vibe of the old days. Does Kenny agree with that? And what are his overall impressions of Klopp's three years in charge? Now, Rupee, we've kind of done this in a bit of reverse order, but I think Kenny's just answered that before he heard the question. So uh, we'll. Uh, uh, we'll, we'll say that that one's crossed, but let's just uh, close the show with uh, with but, one final one. Sorry, Paul, go. Do you, know, do you know, the other thing I would add to that, though, just on that question, is the, one of the most important things that, that Jürgen's brought is consistency. Because it, if if you're building a club, if you keep changing, what, what you don't realise, if you keep changing at the first team level your ideas, then... Everything underneath, all the people, all the recruitment department that are trying to recruit the player that fits into your system, all the academy coaches that are trying to develop a player to fit your system, they are, they're goalposts move as well. So you could do a year of work trying to recruit one type of player and then all of a sudden the manager changes his mind and then you've got to do something different or they change the system and you've got to do something different. Now, and, and, and the one thing that, that he has brought is principles and a style and a way that he wants to play. And that was that was back just to the boot room days to link the two. You could watch a game, Dad, and you could say, he looks like a Liverpool player. Or you could watch another player who was good and you go, yeah, but he's not a Liverpool player. I genuinely think now you can watch world football and we have such a unique identity that you can look and you can say, he's a Jurgen Klopp player or he's a Liverpool player. And, and I think that gives everybody, everybody in the club that's working underneath in direction. What do you think, though? I don't think there's any of the top players couldn't play for Liverpool. I mean, I don't, I don't think there's. Uh, I think most of the top players um, have got the attributes that it takes, obviously, to get to that level, or they wouldn't be there, and also. They, they would have the same beliefs as what Jürgen would have and I, I don't think there would be too many top players that Jürgen would say no, I don't think he would suit what my ideals are because I think most of them have that I don't think there's I don't think there's a Give me an example to, Well I, you, the, you're sitting watching this internationals week this week Yeah Right So who would could who's, who would you say well, without the Messi and Ronaldo being involved in it, Neymar, he could play for us. Where would you play? Whatever he wants. <laughs> <laughs> and Bath could play for us. Because the way that he plays with Salem Mane, right, it's, it's similar to the way that, that Neymar does as well. But how he plays. Gary King yeah. could play. But if you've, no if you've problem. seen him, if you saw, so he, he took, what I would say though is he takes Shakiri off at half time because, uh, he never did the defensive position or the defensive work that he wanted him to do. Do you think Neymar would do the defensive work that Jurgen would ask him to do? Well, that would remain to be seen, but I think he does enough going the other way. Right. Well, but, but he might get away with it a little bit. So but one of Paul, I watched him against Liverpool. Yeah, he might not be the best defender, right? 
But I'll tell you something, he get back he got back in there many times. He made he a tackle, in his didn't he? He, yeah, was it? No Who was it? But he gets Who? himself back in there to fill a hole. The guy he runs was, off him, he might not run well, but but by the way, he does so much the other way. Was it not was it not uh Mane that destroyed him one v one down at the cop end? He tried back and it was on the, the corner. Yeah, 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 yeah. He yeah, dipped yeah. his shoulder. Yeah, but what what I'm what I'm saying is is I, I get it. I, I get what you're saying, but with with him, he's got so much structure to the defensive side that players need to be able to run to play for Liverpool. Well, Neymar can run. Yeah, I'm just saying. I'm, listen, I'm, I'm not going to get into a debate whether Neymar would be good for Liverpool. I'm just saying there is a type of player that you can look at now and say he looks like a Liverpool player. And that was the case in the past as well. I think a lot of the, the teams nowadays, their players have got the same characteristics and you need to have the same attributes for a lot of clubs. For instance, I'll give you an example. Kante for Chelsea looks no, like a Liverpool player. He'd, he'd be, he's... Yeah, he's that, that's really, he's really, really effective, and he's been. Jorginho's uh, come in and sat in that position that Canty used yeah. to play, and Canty yeah. said to move forward a wee bit, and but he can still do it. Yeah, yeah. But I tell you, what was the uh, what's the centre forward for Napoli that was really good against us? Insane. What's his name? Insigne. In- In- in what? the wee guy, yeah, let's call him Insigne. It starts with an I. <laughs> it does, Insigne. <laughs> call him Ziggy. <laughs> Ziggy. He was good, wasn't he? Yeah, uh, he's he's he a good. he's a legend there, though, isn't he? I mean, he's uh, he's been there, uh, yeah. been there a long time. Uh, well, the other one, the other one I like is the guy in Germany, Leon Bailey. That came from uh, that came from from Belgium. He's now playing in Germany. He, I, I think, he could be in a rotation with the two. Wide players for us. Anyway, sorry, Eddie, I've gone off on a tangent again. <laughs> well, we had a, we had about eight questions lined up. I think we managed one one point five. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> we'll do some more questions uh, when we get back together in a couple of weeks, and that seems as good a place as any to draw a close to uh, this episode of the King and AI. Uh, we'll be back, uh, as I say, in a couple of weeks, and uh, our plan will be to include some of those questions that we've missed. So, so, so thank you to everyone who contributed them, and do keep them coming. We we do enjoy uh, reading them, and uh, we always have a little bit of a chuckle before we start recording the show on some of the questions, and uh, none have really not made the cut yet, so, so do keep them coming. It just shows we're... Uh, Kenny and Paul are quite prepared to kind of answer anything thrown at them and they do uh, they do lead to a good laugh and a good bit of debate as well as you see there so uh, before we go just a reminder once again that we have a free prize draw running currently we're giving away a 1978 European Cup final commemorative box set which uh, will not only be signed uh, by Sir Kenny but you'll also get a handwritten message of your choice so so do look out for that one to enter simply uh, follow at Anfield Index Pro on Twitter and retweet the pinned tweet at the top of the page uh, that will include you automatically into the prize draw which will take place on the 22nd of October so all that remains is to uh, thank Mr Paul Dalgleish for sharing uh, just a tiny fraction of his boundless wisdom with us today yeah there you go and it was back to normal not one time did we agree I don't think so back to normal <laughs> none of that agreeing stuff anymore no, it must be hey, an, an I, heard them saying, I heard them saying twice I agree <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. We'll have to we'll have to edit them out so we can take credit like you yeah, did on the like you did on the like you did on me calling you saw last week. Uh, he was his ears are his ears are as eagle eyed as his eyes these days. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, thanks once again to the legend that is Sir Kenny Dalgleish. Thank you, Kenny. No problem. Very enjoyable again. Not for me. <laughs> Not, Not for, for you. you. <laughs> well, we're we're in the middle. Ed, Ed, can we make a substitution next week? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's, hey, listen, I'm used to it. I'm used to being on the bench. I've got no problem with that. <laughs> um, and you're used to no coming on either. 
<laughs> yeah, he gets plenty talk. He gets plenty talk time on this podcast. That's for sure. Uh, never, never a substitute in our eyes. Uh, as a reminder, the King and AI podcast is available first exclusively to uh, AI Pro subscribers, and uh, it goes out to the public on on general release just a couple of days later. Uh, incredibly, Anfield Index Pro is one year old this week, and uh, I can assure you from a personal experience, I'm sure uh, Mr. Paul Dalglish feels the same. It certainly feels a bit longer than that, Paul. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> but if you'd like to hang out with the cool kids and take a test drive of AI Pro uh, and the 30 plus podcast per month that we, that we offer, then please do sign up over at anfieldindex.com forward slash join. I'll leave you as ever uh, with a few words from Kelly, Cates and Wheeler. See you all in a couple of weeks. Thanks very much for listening. Hope you enjoyed the show. There is one more thing that you could do, but it doesn't really require any effort. If you use Amazon, if you go to smile.amazon.co.uk, there's an option to select a charity. If you select the Marina Dalglish appeal, then every time you make a purchase at Amazon, they will make a donation to the charity. All you have to do is use smile.amazon.co.uk as your website to buy things from Amazon. It should, in theory, be quite straightforward. Thanks very much again. Podcast Network.